0: Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. It's Liz here, and I am joined by our friend Marat Atesh today. So, Marat, how are you doing?
0: Oh, I'm doing well. It is a good time to be a ringer rat again with so much optimism around the team. So fun. We were chatting before this just to see hockey from up close compared to a TV screen or even like the press box. It's fast. It's quality, and it like... Yeah, I'm geeking out this week, for sure.
1: (laughs) Totally understand. Um, Before we start getting into the Jets talk, though, I realize we haven't had you on in quite some time. And I have a question here. I'm going to put you on the spot. So here we are in September. Um, We have just gone through a summer that was so exciting for sports fans across Canada, especially for the world of women's sports. So I want you to think of what was your favorite moment in women's sports this summer? Because there were a lot of them.
0: Julia Grosso scores on the penalty.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, you're (laughs) going... Uh, Can't elaborate on that.
0: Gold medal, Team Canada women's Olympic soccer. That like, was yours.
1: That was I. I think that's almost got to be the consensus. That was that was awesome.
0: Like I was watching with was two Olympics ago already, or or whatever year that was. Yeah, 20, 2012. Against the United States, when that absolutely awful call was made on the keeper holding the ball a little bit extra, USA. Anyway, when Canada has been in the process of sort of. Defeating that American team for so long to do that in the semis and go on and win gold. I mean, come on. Like, I got fired up. I'm willing to get up at three in the morning. Uh, I'm gonna, wow, I'm getting emotional. Like, I I love that team. I absolutely love that team. I almost cried on your show. (laughs)
1: that's awesome yeah no i'll i'll give you a second to recuperate i i loved it it was so great i just like you know christine sinclair gets to end her career with a bang after she's done so much for soccer in canada and just like all the little things the redemption that you talked about from the london olympics and stuff that was that was huge that was awesome
0: a photo of sinclair just like jacked holding um grosso's shoulders after she scores the penalty is just chills
1: it's awesome yeah Man, some sports pictures are just, like, man, they're, like, you know, like, the pictures of, like, the Kawhi shot or even a couple of, like, goal celebrations from whiteouts. Like, do you remember the Jacob Truba one where he scored from, like, almost on the goal line? And then, <laughs> <laughs> for those, if you're not watching, we just did the exact same thing. It's just, yeah, no, like, sports pictures are awesome. But I agree. That, that was an awesome moment. I'm almost a little bit more partial to the tennis, even though we didn't even win. I loved watching... Um, Bianca and Layla this year in the tennis like holy smokes it was awesome and then the hockey team and just the olympics in general man we didn't have hockey for like a month and a half but we got our fix with sports it was awesome (laughs) my goodness yeah
0: absolutely we did and that gold medal I mean a world championship record hadn't been particularly good so then to put that together you know in the gold medals or what have you I know Canada had won the olympics on that front and Layla like come on her dad like or her when she speaks it's just who could who could be more fun to cheer for than someone so kind and appreciative and celebratory of the journey
1: Yes, and that's just like, when you think of, you know, this is the Canadian, like, she is like, oh, yeah, it was so awesome. I just, I remember, it was Burger Week, this is so random, it kind of like correlated, and I was out for dinner with a couple of my friends, and we were jumping restaurants, whatever, so you're we like, Brown's downtown, you know, Tennis is on one of the TVs. Then we went to a restaurant, and it wasn't playing, it was, um was seems game, and I was livid, I was like, guys, we have to go to a different restaurant, I was like, I can't miss, they're like, do you even like Tennis? I was like, for two weeks a year, I do, like, come on, it's been awesome, but being back at hockey is going to be super exciting, too. Like, obviously, for you and myself, it's probably the sport that we are most interested in. You kind of hope so, for you at least, with kind of the way your career path is taking you. But, um, yeah, so training camp has kind of been going on this week. Preseason starts this weekend, so we thought it would be a good time for us to sit down and Marat can kind of fill us in on what he kind of knows about the team and what's going to be kind of going on this season, how it's going to look, and what, um, what's new, what's shaking with the team, and we're just going to kind of have a conversation about that. Let's go. (laughs) Super. Okay. So official training camp um, started, I want to say yesterday. Was that the first official day? Um, But before that, can you kind of fill us in on what, um, because there had been some media stuff before that, right? And some skates and all that kind of stuff in the pre-training camp. Um, Talk about that a little bit, kind of what you saw and um, what Jets fans should be excited about from what you saw.
0: Yeah. I mean, Jets pro mini camp. They, They tripped over themselves to come up with just the right word. They didn't want to call it a development camp because not literally every top prospect was there. NCAA-bound people can't go to development camps. Chaz Lucius, for example, wasn't there. Um, You know, the the folks playing in the KHL right now, Rashevsky who's just tearing it up, Nikita Chibrikov as well, um, weren't there. But. Villa Hainala was there. Dylan Sandberg was there. Cole Perfetti was there. David Gussips and Christian Vestalainen. And also some more veteran players like, you know, Austin Paganski or Luke Johnson, who Jets fans won't know much about quite yet. Um, you know, they're in their mid-20s, and they're kind of following that Dominic Toninato path of AHL veteran, NHL tweener, could get a shot, especially depending on how LTIR works for the Jets. But the pro minicamp, it was... Not that high intensity you saw out there today with the Jets. It was a lot of speed, a lot of touches, uh, rushes, not a lot of uh, physical contact or violence necessarily. There was no Brendan Dillon steamrolling people all over the ice. And really from that, the takeaway was, was just purely skill-based. I mean, Dylan Hainala can turn in any direction effortlessly. He's skating so smoothly, so brilliantly. To watch his turning radius compared to a big guy like Dylan Sandberg, It's just amazing to watch them go through the same drill and see how two different people can problem solve the same situation in two different ways. And then, of course, Sandberg, um, you know, was hurt day one of Jets camp. But during mini camp, uh, you could really tell, I mean, total package in terms of size, mobility, everything else. Uh, They're genuinely good players to be very excited about. Cole Perfetti as well. The one thing that I learned about Cole Perfetti up close that I hadn't known from watching on TV was when he shoots, at least in multiple photographs, including just like me watching, is he makes the same sort of like chewing on your tongue face that I make when like trying to figure out a bass guitar or something that is hard for me. He just looks so thoughtful as he's moving around the ice with a puck on his stick. That was fun. But it was that was fun skill development get everybody acclimated whereas the last couple of days have been pretty intense
1: nice yeah i think people really like to hear um about some of those guys that you mentioned because i think like i know for myself like i was at training camp today for those you don't know i wouldn't shut up about it on twitter on both accounts so i'm sure you know that already but um it's nice to be able to i was in the connor shifley wheeler rank which is you know fine like they're awesome but i i was more interested in the players that I don't normally get to watch. So I think that's, what's kind of nice about being able to hear from people like you who are seeing these guys that um, maybe play in different leagues normally. So we don't get a lot of like actual jets coverage because they're not playing for the Jets. So it's nice to hear about some of these guys that could uh, have potential with the, with the organization stuff. So I think that's really exciting. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about kind of what uh, what you've seen at training camp, maybe some of the line combinations that you saw, maybe some of the new acquisitions and how you think they're kind of fitting in with the team and stuff.
0: Can I be just a uh, just a bully? I realized in listening to, to you say, like, players you don't hear a lot about, if I get fired up, just a quick couple sentences about, like, Simon Lundmark, defenseman drafted in the Hanola draft a little bit later, we don't hear much about him uh, playing in Sweden as he has. And just a little tidbit, they did a drill with all the defensemen where... They get a pass on the on the blue line right at the wall, right at the boards. And then it's all about accelerating to the middle of the ice and getting a shot off. And one at a time, you see Hainal, you expect him to be graceful and quick. Um, you see the different strategies players use, because if you use your crossovers all the way over, you can stay with your hips and your shoulders open to the net. Theoretically, you can shoot a little bit more. But some players didn't do that. They just bolted straight ahead across the line um, as fast as they could. And then they open up at the last second to shoot. Simon Lundmark, despite not being as famous as some of the stars, was making that drill look absolutely as easy as and Like he was at least as fast as everybody else. That's one to talk about. Johnny Kovacevic as well. Um, Can't say enough about, about him at the AHL level right now. He's an absolute stud defenseman for them. And it was nice to get some game or, pardon me, some drill action of him as well. So I'm sorry you asked me an entire other thing, but I just don't think we talk about these other guys as much. So I'm trying to force it in.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I know today for myself, like, I really like, I can't, Kovacevic, I don't actually know how to pronounce his name, that might be it. And the other one who I also can't pronounce his name, Leon Gowanke, like, I thought they were, because they were kind of paired up on the rink that I was watching them, and they, like, oh, that Moose team is going to be just fine on the blue line. They are going to be just fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're stacked. I mean, like, Gavanka, this is how I've been told, Gavanka sort okay. of, German W, and then the E at the end gets pronounced. Um... I mean, tore it up two years ago on the power play. Didn't get as much Moose power play time this year, but or this last season, pardon me, with Declan Chisholm kind of taking a little bit of it, and then Hayden La taking a bunch, and, and all the rest. Um, but he can move the puck. He is skilled. He like you know, uh, he can do things with the puck that are that are really quite good. And and Kovacevic, um, which uh, when does this when does this go up?
1: Do I know don't anything? know yet. <laughs>
0: I might be spoiling something. There's a, there's a spoiler I've been trying to keep a secret. I've been I've been talking to his folks um, for a story that uh, that I'm so excited about, and I think they said the anglicized way to go about it is Kovačević with the chip yeah. at the end. Um, he is just such a delightful late bloomer. was was passed over. Um, played a lot of CCHL Junior A hockey in in Ontario. Um, was a very late round pick in the ohl didn't make ohl teams goes to merrimack college and every year just gets better and better and better shows up at the moose gets better and better he was supposed to be in a rotation two seasons ago getting press box time he carved out a role for himself and then this last year was their most valuable defenseman so he's he's a good person to keep an eye out for for late bloomers or or people that you're looking for aside from the famous ones nice
1: okay good uh that'll allude to something later on perhaps we'll maybe we'll find out later so okay sounds good that's uh I I always like that. actually I was talking to my dad um about this earlier he's talking about how much he loves the pieces that you write that are kind of a little bit like away from the actual game and talking about the you know the players the pionk story the Appleton, like all these different um he, he thinks you're a really good writer he thinks that you do a very good job of that but he just loves to hear about these players and kind of from a more personal level and stuff like that so that's always fun to learn more about them
0: for sure yeah I love writing those kinds of things if uh Yeah, I I think I have the reputation as the analytics guy or what have you, but my heart is definitely in the human side, too.
1: I Honestly, I don't know if that's – I would probably go more with the human side when I'm thinking about you, I think. I think I go – I don't know.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't –
0: Paul Maurice, like, gesturing, like, across. He's like, oh, I'm the numbers guy's over, and then he'll, like, look at me or whatever. So (laughs) you know me better than people does.
1: Okay, well, maybe I'll have a chat with Paul next time I see him and let him know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um super yeah so we were gonna go somewhere else in the next
0: uh, jets camp lines
1: uh yes okay yeah there wasn't really a specific path we were gonna go but just kind of building on from maybe some of the guys that we already do know a bit and kind of if anything has changed um kind of anything you notice, maybe guys has anyone put on a ton of weight or grown a ton or is anyone looking a little different like or is it kind of more of the same for for our regular guys
0: I wonder what we could say on that front. I mean, I like that you called it the Connor Shifley-Wheeler rink um, that you observed today because, I mean, they're such an institution at this point. Paul Maurice putting them together as line one is just an obvious tell. Like, those are the guys. Those are the the horses that that he's trusted for years now. And it's, it's been a little while since they just dominated. Hopefully with an improved defense, they can kind of get back to that, that level. And, you know, Mark Shifley spoke to reporters today. He was kind of selling that all-around game is his commitment this year as well. So I mean, perhaps there's something to, to that. And like, I guess his, Mark, Mark Shifley, actually from a purely analytics perspective, if you look at isolated shot impacts on evolving hockey or, or, or hockey viz, he took a little step forward, a mini step forward last year compared to two years ago. And there might be something to that. And his best seasons were when he had a great defense behind him as well with you know, Dustin Bufflin. So maybe there's something to that. Um, to answer your question, I remember seeing those videos of Pierre-Luc Dubois meeting Kevin Chevalier off and Paul Maurice last year, and he had just purely been in the gym and off the ice. He looked huge, right? Like, he looked like an enormous human being, and I feel like he still looks incredibly strong, but maybe leaner than I remember from those videos. If I can make a guess based on having at least been in a room with him now at this point, um, which hopefully... <laughs> Living the Alyssa Hood dream, from what I understand. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, he, uh, I, I guess speed. Speed is the element for him. I think Nick Ehlers is flying. I thought Kyle Connor was flying today, which was, uh, which was a really nice thing to see. Obviously, he's a fast player. He's known for that. Um, but I can't, I can't think of too many other, like, tremendous body transformations, so to speak, that I could, that I could think of.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I know I saw saw like a Leafs one or whatever. I always do this. I always make fun of it. It's like, oh, how does this affect the Leafs? And then I always bring them up. But they had like a list of all their players. And like, I think Austin Matthews lost like 30 pounds or something like that. Like, I don't know. Um, So yeah, I, I was wondering if we had any of those on our team, but you know feels really weird to like speculate into people's weights. It's always seemed like a strange thing to me, but you know what, (laughs) whatever. They're all personal
0: for them, but at the same time, like their height, weight, all that is like such a public piece of information too.
1: Right, that was like today, it was so funny. I was watching a Winnipeg sports talk. They had Adam Lowry on this afternoon and he took the interview from his car and you could sort of see like a little domo sign in the background. Everyone was trying to speculate what part of Winnipeg he's in I was like, this feels wrong. (laughs) <laughs> like the comment section was just like, "There's a domo by the original Joe's in Unicity, right by the ex- iceplex. That's probably where he is." I'm like, "Guys, this is weird." Like, please stop.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a creepiness element. There, like, things that would be really innocuous for for you or for me, maybe. I don't know. I still don't think I'd love it if somebody was being like, Marat is at zapping exactly this gas station." I don't know. But like, things that are very innocuous, or at least more innocuous for you know us regular humans. Um, is it, just wild for, for them. And sometimes I even lose sight of that. I remember this summer, I guess, a, a for sale sign appeared in front of Blake Wheeler's house and my inbox filled up. Like, my inbox absolutely filled up. What's going on? Is he leaving? Is blah, blah, blah. And even as I Google to myself, like, you know, this happened with Kyle Lowry in Toronto. It was just a huge media speculation. And then I think he just moved within the city. And then obviously it's not a Raptor anymore, which sucks. But um it's just like, these are things that human beings should be allowed to do with some semblance of privacy is kind of how I've taken my opinion uh, since then. Anyway.
1: Yeah, definitely. But it's one of those things too. It's where you kind of like, you're trying to find a line that doesn't actually exist because it's like, obviously people are going to be freaking out when their captain's house goes up for sale and, firstly it's weird that we know that but then it's like you also you just want to kind of give them a little bit of space but also it's like you want to give them a bit of a sense of security but it's just really there is no line you don't know where it is and then you might cross it you might not even get close so it's like who knows at this point but uh yeah definitely the the personal things like it's very interesting how we kind of treat them a little differently. Sometimes as Jets fans, I mean, more from my perspective. So it's, it's, all, it's all fun and games, <laughs> but as long as we're being respectful and not invading their privacy too much. But, um, I was gonna, I had another question too. And I always, they always leave my mind. Um, I think it was about, oh yeah, you were talking about um, how you spoke with Mark Shifley today. Um, and I think he also talked a little bit about some of the new acquisitions, right? There were some quotes I saw about him talking about Brendan Dillon, I believe.
0: Yeah, so uh, Brendan Dillon ran him over on day one of, of training camp, which um, was funny for us to see. And he also, Dillon after that, I, I think it was Christian Veselani who he, who he just ran into as well. And he had Kyle Connor ran, sorry, line up, pardon me, and then right before they hit, both players just like, okay, we're not going to do this kind of deal. Um, and so that was part of the conversation, Mark Shively saying, you know what? That's who he is that's what we want. He, we're so much happier that he's on our team than other than than playing against him as well because he's tough to play against like that and then also it's uh you know I guess they've known each other for a little while they've skated together they've they went out for dinner uh, I think a summer or two ago Mark said as well um and they've laughed over some of the physical altercations they've had in the past between Winnipeg and San Jose when Dylan was there too so it seems like. And this seems to be a very Jets thing. Remember Paul Stastny was talking about how he had been friends with Wheeler on his way in back in 2018. And now you hear Paul Stastny and, uh, and Blake Wheeler talking to Nate Schmidt about coming over and Brendan Dillon with Mark Shifley. And he's also known Blake Wheeler a little bit as well. Like there's a, there's a community recruitment sort of element to these guys right now. And, you know, you say whatever you want about that, about Winnipeg, all those sorts of things if you're that wanted by your teammates and then these are relationships that these guys have. And in this particular case, like these aren't fourth liners or or tweeners or, or guys on the way out of their career as sometimes happens, but they're like good top four defensemen as well. And it's nice to see there be a sense of this camaraderie or or the joy levels being high to use a Ken Weebism amongst these guys right now.
1: Yeah, it is. It is really exciting. And I think that's something that, um some of the more pessimistic we'll call them Jets fans that sometimes I lump myself in with they it's kind of just that sense of like you said kind of right when we got on like there's just so much excitement and build up because like We look really good. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about kind of what these new defensive acquisitions, like Paul Maurice had mentioned specifically the whole idea of a systems change and a lot of people um, like, you know, how our, our podcast, generally speaking, has not been a huge fan of the Connor Schenfly Wheeler line for the past two and a half seasons or whatever, but they're thinking, you know, it's like, okay, with a little bit of, added bulk on the back end and maybe some more puck transition and stuff like that. They might be able to kind of get off with not being able to play as much defense, blah, 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 blah kind of how it's just going to kind of help everyone all across the board. Um, at least that's the impression that some of us are under kind of, do you want to dive into that a little bit?
0: Yeah, I think well, I'll just sort of think through some pros and cons of the situation. Like, like speaking of Con- Connor Shifley and Wheeler, I mean, you would have been right to be critical of their results over the last couple of seasons. I mean, That's a top line. It's supposed to be the top line of a very good team. And if Winnipeg is to be a contender and this is the top line, they need to outscore their opposition. Like it's not about fancy stats. It's not about anything subtle or strange. It's at five on five when they go over the boards, they need to score more goals than the other team. And that's a top line. That's what a top line should be able to do. Even if you're playing against top lines all night, because if Winnipeg's one of the better teams in the league, they should be their top lines got to beat other top lines, you know, not, not necessarily every night, but more often than not. Um, and so you look at the last couple of years, it's easy to think, well, you know, their defense was actually pretty bad. And you, you hear the Jets kind of start to admit it more now. They wouldn't have said it out loud over the last couple of seasons. It was a definite weak spot. Transition was a weak spot. Getting the stops was a weak spot. Getting beat or wide and then, you know, it falls into man to man sooner than they would otherwise prefer was was a weak spot. And so they spend so much time in their own zone. And when you when your most important offensive players like Mark Shifley are not Mark Stone, Sean Couturier, Ryan O'Reilly. Right. They, he has this tendency to like he's he's physically capable. He can play a one on one battle, but at the same time, he has a tendency to to lean on the offensive side of the game a little bit. Could be an extra long shift which he got benched for last season uh it could be just standing on the the offensive side of his man before the puck's safe moving in the right direction and that's not the sort of thing that compensates for the defense that winnipeg had in these last couple of years so maybe maybe that's why you know kyle connor and to the same degree but not a center not quite as vital um maybe that's why the that line has struggled um over the last couple seasons maybe blake wheeler's ribs play into that as well because he racked up a lot of his minuses at a time when he was not moving particularly well he got he tends to actually have a pretty good defensive impact Um, but to bring it back to the defense there is a theory that one more clean breakout per period if you're using sport logic data for example one smooth exit per period extra can move a team from the decided bottom third of the league in terms of transition play to the top third. And if ever there was a team that could add two players and go from the bottom third to the top third, it's probably a defense that was as poor in transition as the Jets were last year, um, adding Brendan Dillon and Nate Schmidt, because both of those guys can move the puck. Both of those guys can get stops as well. And that's what the optimist wants to point to is that the Jets, aren't going to spend 30 seconds in their own zone before getting the puck back as often. They're going to win it a little bit more early or or more frequently. And then when they do have the puck, presumably they're going to move it better on their way out of the zone as well. So X's and O's wise, maybe Shifley doesn't have to come back as much, but I think the Jets' plan is for the centers to come back a little bit harder this year than last, to tell you the truth. I think X's and O's wise, this is about being a five-man unit all the way up and down the ice. I don't think they're going to spread out as much, or at least so goes the plan. And on the other end of the rink as well, the defense will probably have a green light to be a little bit more aggressive than they've been in recent, uh, recent years as well. And hopefully that adds up to even more success than you'd imagine on paper just from adding Dylan and Schmidt because of where they're coming from as a defense core.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one thing that I know for myself that I really liked about Dylan DeMello. People are like, you know, you're talking about your defenseman. And I was like, okay, the things that I really like about Dylan DeMello, honestly, they tend to happen outside of his own blue line. I really like kind of just, you know, the little things on the offensive blue line of adding an extra chance for the forwards and little things like that. And I think we saw a little bit less of that. And I think, like you said, there's going to be a green light to do a little bit more of that kind of thing now and act more as a five-man unit on both sides of the ice because I feel like a lot of times people thought that the defensemen did most of the defending and the wingers did most of the scoring and the offensive contributions and stuff. So working as a five-man unit, that's that's exciting. That's what you like to hear. So I think um, that'll be good. Did you want to touch more on the whole con piece of that or?
0: Um, Con piece. I think... Just I think this is going to frame it in the positive. I mean, talking about a defenseman having the green light. Let's say that you know Josh Morrissey is defending a rush and he's at as a blue line. If he's going to step up at his blue line to play that player with a tight gap, he needs to have confidence that say Mark Scheifele is going to come back and have his back if he gets beat. Or presumably there's a there's a third forward on the other team. So Mark Scheifele has that that third forward. Um, and when playing as a five man, unit, five-person unit, whatever gender the league is, like the, the read that Morrissey gets to make is so influenced by his center in that situation. And if they get it right, it's better for everybody. It's better for everybody if the forwards are coming back hard enough because the defense can make better decisions, end up with the puck. And because it's an upgraded you know, top four, presumably once they get the puck, they'll move it better, and then it'll be on Shifley's stick going in the other direction as well and if they don't then it won't happen and 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 i think that they have the tools to get that done this year it'll be about executing that
1: nice yeah that's uh that is, I, I like how you how you you flipped it a little bit. It's like, you know, it's a con, but then you can look at it. This is a way that they can improve. This is kind of an opportunity to build on. And I think that's that's exciting. So we talked a little bit about Connor, Trinkley, Wheeler, um, assuming they're going to run with that in game two, not game one. <laughs> um, we're looking at right now, at least a cop, Ehlers, and Dubois line. Um, do you want to touch on that a little bit and kind of talk about what you saw from them um, individually or together, kind of what. You expect from that potential second
0: line? Well, I mean, they've scrimmaged twice and the scrimmages, I think they set the clock to 25 minutes. Um, and Ehlers has scored three goals. So if 25 minutes is a little less than half a six, a six goal pace for Nick Ehlers, assist, six goal per game pace for Nick Ehlers all the time assisted by Pierre-Luc Dubois should make for a solid season.
1: Sounds
0: good to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I hope they find chemistry together. That's, That's it, really, is Pierre-Luc Dubois being such an X-factor this season. I've said this before. Like He could be the difference between Winnipeg having a pretty good forward group and a great one if he's able to sort of get back to the trajectory that everybody imagined for him based on his first few years in Columbus. And I think he looks a little bit quicker. I don't think he's taking over the scrimmages, and I don't think we've seen him take over Jets games for any real stretches of time yet early in his career. But if he can... And if you can do that with some chemistry with Nick Ehlers, you know both of them have incredible straight line speed. Nick Ehlers has incredible side-to-side speed as well. Um, you, you'd like to see both of them making plays, both of them shooting. And I mean, if Nick Ehlers is doing a lot of the shooting, he's done it pretty well so far through camp. Um, so I like that pairing. Andrew Kopp is an interesting uh, addition right there, because I think we all assumed it would be Paul Stastny in that role. Um, and it still might become Paul Stastny in that role. I should be clear. Paul Maurice said, you know, Cop, um, Cop Dubois and Eulers will be three fifths of power play two. Uh, so we can talk about, you know, Nick Euler's lack of a promotion, so to speak, even though he scored the most points per minute on the power play amongst all Jets and the most minutes at five on five per minute amongst all Jets last season as well. Um, so Cop, Cop adds a little bit of ability to play with anybody, do it anyway. He's not. Uh, obviously going to finish quite as well, I think, as he did last year or, or as well as Ehlers or Dubois. If that line works, then you've got a second line that should be able to play against power as well, which ideally you're asking of from Shifley too. And there's like a little bit of a maybe because Dubois, who knows just what level he can get to. The, the best case scenario is both those lines can play, you know, 18, 19 minutes a night, and it doesn't matter who they play against. They should be able to get some results.
1: Yeah, for sure. I um. So that leaves Paul Stastny right now on the third line with uh, with Lowry and Besselink. as of right now, obviously nothing's set in stone. How do you feel about them?
0: Uh, so far, so good. Um, it's interesting. Like, there's a there's a theory that you know you you put your slow player on the wing so he doesn't hurt you as much. There's another theory that says you put him in the middle um, so that you know he doesn't have to especially a defensively responsible one, he can sort of stay in the middle and sort of back up his wingers and, and play sort of the more intelligent game that Sassny would be known for. So we'll see how he does if he stays on the wing. Adam Lowry obviously is a known quantity amongst Jets fans, um, especially when he's healthy. He's a playoff ready performer. Like there seems to be a huge swing to me in Adam Lowry healthy and running over guys and Adam Lowry not healthy, which we've seen a few times over the past few years, shoulder injuries and otherwise. Um, having issues dominating a game. But I think everybody really wants to know who's going to be the right winger on that line and Christian Veselin. early on, I'm skeptical. Let let me be honest with you. I'm skeptical. I, I don't know if he's fast enough. I don't know if he makes, if he reads the game well enough to play the Mason Ableton, Joel Armia, um, Brandon Tanev game, like all of those players either read the game particularly well, or uh, were particularly fast. And uh, I don't know that that's his strength. At the same time in camp today, I noticed them, particularly Lowry, Lowry and Veselinan together, you know, shutting down breakout attempts. Their, their forecheck turned pucks over and led to a couple of chances. I know it's just scrimmage. I know that it's just day two of scrimmage at that, and not everybody on the ice is an NHL player. But early returns seem to say, okay, let's keep looking at it in case Veselinan can hang in that role.
1: Right. If um, you... Actually, you know what? I'm going to get to that question later. Um, So uh, Riley Nash, we haven't talked about yet. He's one of the newer faces that I would assume is pretty much a fourth line lock. If not, I don't think he's going to be playing in the AHL at all. I don't really think he's going to be playing on our third line, but that's more likely than the AHL to me. Um, What have you seen from him? Again, we talk about how camp is short, blah, 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 but in your limited sample, what, uh, what do you think of him? Uh,
0: I've yet to get a strong, strong opinion, you know, Winnipeg has this history of fourth-line veteran centers that don't really get a lot done. You know, they, they might be particularly intelligent players. Like, Matt Hendricks knew hockey. He knew the Reeds. He knew, like, that guy, I, I would not question his ability to break down a game at five-on-five at all. But at 35, 36 years old, he didn't have the pace to, to really make the impact on things. And then Winnipeg sort of went through a revolving door of guys like that since Matt Hendricks' time, including bringing Hendricks back himself. I was hoping or my hope for the Jets is that Riley Nash can be an upgraded version of what we've seen recently. You know, the veteran presence of a Hendricks, of a Nate Thompson as well, but a little bit more pace or a little bit more ability to impact the game. I don't know that I've seen anything that says yes or no from him yet. I've just been, I've just noted that he's playing with, you know, Johnson Harkins on one side and again Svetsnikov on, on the other, which looks like an audition for a fourth line for all of those guys um and and so we'll see what they're able to do and if if those guys you know I think David Gustafson has to factor into that a little bit too maybe it's Gustafson in the middle Harkins on the left and and Riley Nash the right shooter on the right but um but they have the first sort of audition for that fourth line job and, and I'm curious to see what they can do
1: yeah for sure if you were to drop the lines right now just with counting kind of your thoughts where where would you kind of what what would you want to do do you think if you were trying to make the most optimal line combinations as far as you know minutes and usage as well as combinations that you think seem to work and things like that what where would you kind of look right now
0: you know I'm I I often have a default answer for this because it's something I think about from time to time I don't think like how do I say this I have seen the results that Connor Shifley and Wheeler have put up over the last couple of years, and I haven't liked them. There have been short stretches where they've really been able to impact the flow of play in a game, but there have also been times where they get stagnant to me and, you know, the cutback cutback pass to the middle game has been able to be picked off and read. And, and, and at the same time, they're not making the stops and getting the puck out of their own zone. If that's something that can be improved, I don't mind that as a power versus power, kind of almost a, you know, 1A, 1B type of line. I I'm I, It's funny to watch it for so many years, and I still, my answer is I want to see more of that before I decide that I don't like it because I, I think that the defense plays a substantial role because of Shifley's weakness in that regard, in my opinion. Like, there, there's really quite a lot of swing in terms of how that line can perform. But I think the overall trend for me, the overall trend for me is probably that is probably to spread things out a little bit uh, amongst that top nine, especially if the Jets aren't gonna play the fourth line many minutes as it is. Um, and that could involve strange things like, you know, Blake Wheeler officially on paper as a third line right winger, or, or Nick Ehlers on the top line. Um, you know, that if the minutes are balanced in the appropriate way, I don't think that there has to be an insult in being number one, number two, or number three, as long as everybody's playing their role well. Um, but I think that the simplest thing would be, you know, maybe I'll have to get back at you on paper with this, but the simplest things that I would say is probably looking for opportunities to spread out the talent and definitely looking for opportunities for more Nikolai healers.
1: I yeah, those are two really good points, I think. And I think they have the luxury of being able to do that now. Like a lot of teams, like you look at someone like Edmonton, for example, they didn't really want to spread their talent. You kind of put it all in two lines. And then you outscore your opponents, and then if your third and fourth line aren't that good, then it's okay. Um, we could literally run a team that has Shifley, Dubois, Stastny, Lowry down the middle and run four lines consistently with almost, like, a very, like, yes, you weight the top a little bit more at the minutes, but you could run your fourth line for 12 minutes a night and be just fine with that. Um because And then your top lines would still be good, too, which I think is awesome. But I think more Nikolai Ehlers is going to be good. Um, I do want you to, like, touch on that a little bit because people always talk about that, and they're like, he's a very, very fast player. And if you were to play more minutes, would that slow him down and, therefore, make him less effective? Do you believe that? Or where are your thoughts on Nikolai Ehlers?
0: Yeah, I, I don't believe that. I, I don't think Nikolai Ehlers is running out of pace in any hurry. Um, I... I think maybe there's this hangover of opinion based on his first couple of playoffs where he wasn't able to really take over games. And maybe the overall impression was that the physicality was somehow too much for him. And then you have the trade dealers movement, which was just like BS at the time. And in hindsight, like um, I, I never had time for that personally. I, I just thought that it was so clear what kind of player he was and was going to become as well. So I'm not sure that it's about pace. Another argument that gets made is that, well, if Eilers is technically on your second line, you can get him out against less top opposition. And I think that that comes from a myth. People think about tough minutes like there's only line one plays against line one, line two plays against line two or something to that effect, or that the, the matchups are wildly different. You know, if you're a second line player, you still play against the top six forwards quite a lot. You still play against the top four defensemen quite a lot, including the top line and top pair. Um, And the degree there might be, Mark Shifley may spend a few extra minutes, a couple of extra minutes at five on five against the top pair and a couple less against the second pair. Nick Ehlers might spend a couple fewer minutes against the top pair, a couple more minutes against the second pair. But on most NHL teams, the fall off in talent is not that enormous. So is the game being won in that couple of minute difference against opposition that is almost as good? I don't know. I think that's galaxy braining it. I think that's overthinking it. I think the the real solution is Nick Ehlers is your fastest and most dynamic player who no one seems to be able to handle defensively speed wise. Just play him.
1: I like that. You're hired. I think that's a pretty good, <laughs> yeah. Like I think, I know I fall victim to this a lot. We really overcomplicate things when you're know, trying to analyze, but it's like, like you said, he's fast and people struggle with that and he's good and he's dynamic. Let him play like, you know, it's just kind of, um, awesome. Yeah. I wanted to, speaking of fun and let him play. Um, how have you felt about Billy Hanala during this training camp and what you've seen from him? And I know he's been partnered with Nathan Bullio, So I think it's pretty clear that that's the seven, eight, whether it be one or the other, um, how you felt about him. I know a lot of people were, you know, feeling pretty good about him. I know for myself, kind of, as soon as he would get on the ice today, it was tunnel vision for me because I wanted to see what he was about to do. But um, I unfortunately didn't get to watch him on the rink because I was on, like I said, the Connor Scheffle wheeler rink and he wasn't on that one. Um, So tell us a little bit about him and what you've seen from him in this limited sample for the beginning of the year.
0: Yeah. I mean, perfect read playing with Nathan Beaulieu is, it's sort of the sign that these are your guys at that stage of the depth chart, you know, seven, eight. I'm fully expecting Nathan Beaulieu to be the seventh defenseman and Billy Hanela to be the Manitoba Moose star. Like, I'm fully expecting that. You know, a little unfortunate from Hanela's perspective because he's probably ready for, in the right context, to, to play substantial NHL minutes. I mean, he, he is a small player, to be sure, but he's quick. He reads the game so fast that you can watch you can watch him change directions in anticipation of the play shifting on his edges i mean i'm not a power skating expert or anything like this but you can see a players shift their balance points as if to change directions and he reads the play and he's moving in the new direction that he needs to move in like faster than anybody else on the ice i think his brain's moving faster than a lot of the opposition even at the nhl level um he's underrated as kind of a mean player. He's willing to throw a cross check in every now and again, which I, I like about him. He almost always plays a really tight gap and has the mobility to do that, which I like, especially on, you know, a Jets team that'll presumably be improved. Though I will note, and I tweeted to this effect as well, that Kyle Connor came bearing down on him at, on a, at a one-on-one. Connor might've had a passing option as well, but Hanola backed off of Connor in a way I've not seen him back off of NHL players before. And I think that's just because of the speed that Connor had at that moment um all this to say i think he's nhl ready but not on this team and i thought he was nhl ready on last year's team but when you add schmidt and when you add dylan um, i think i'd rather see this player playing big minutes for the moose and let's let's not forget what an awful situation he had last year to get called up to the taxi squad and they can only exchange players when the jets and moose are in the same city without a quarantine being involved and they don't take the one opportunity. They may have had two, but one for sure to do that. And they don't play him at the NHL level. He misses his moose time as well. A month goes by. Like, that was not good. That was not ideal. Um, and we shouldn't forget that. Even as he goes to, in my estimation, to be, you know, Manitoba's, uh, you know, star offensive defenseman. And perhaps a call-up if the right injuries hit as well. Uh, as long as he's playing, I think I'll be happy with Billy Hanlon.
1: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good uh, analysis there. I know, like you said about the whole, I. that was one thing I remember watching in the World Juniors last year. I kind of, my takeaway from him, I was like, okay, again, he's playing against kids like him, but he is mean. Like he is a little bit of a bug of a player. Like, you know, people always, you know, the old timers, like we need aggressive guys. I'm like, okay, he may be 5'10", or however tall he is, but he's a lot meaner than a lot of the guys you have on your team. Like whatever term of aggression you're looking for, he's got it. Like I really, really like that part of a game I think he's tough like that like and like you said he's aggressive on those pucks and he likes to play that gap and stuff like I I don't know I really really like him as a player and I think him being able to eat some big minutes in the NHL will be really good for him that being said personally I just think that he and Dylan DeMello would be such a beautiful pairing we talked on our last episode about how Dylan DeMello is going to be stuck on babysitting duty this year whether it be with Logan Stanley or if whatever if Billy Hanola is to play a single game in the NHL it's probably going to be with Dylan DeMello so we call him the babysitter for this year but I just think that would be such a fun fit to see for a game or two if it ever the right circumstances command it but that's uh, um, a great probably-
0: landing spot like for developmental purposes, Winnipeg has kind of not been a great situation these last couple of years for defensemen. And You think now, obviously there's other stories at play, but Sammy Niku being asked to play alongside Josh Morrissey in a tough minute role. I mean, that like, what are you trying to accomplish via that? That's clearly not the player type or style that, that Niku is, um, but, and, and he, he drowned defensively as a result. I mean, he wasn't good enough to, to make that impact, but I think now, Dylan DeMello on your third pair, you call him the babysitter, call him whatever you like. That is a great landing spot. Just third pair, not top competition. After the top four, it drops off. And you have a player that reads the game that well and makes passes that puts their partner in good situations. I mean, if it's Logan Stanley, he's going to be in a great spot this year to reproduce some of his you know, surprising strength from last season, I think.
1: I know. That's like one thing that you know. I remember talking to people and it's like, okay – J Fresh player cards, are you know, they're they're one su- like subset of stats, whatever. But it's always hilarious because they're so easy to read. It's like, oh, Logan Stanley zeroth percentile of quality of competition. He did not play against good players last year. People are like, oh, like he was he only played against current players and he was supported so much by Dylan Demello." It's like, you know what? Doesn't really matter because he's gonna get supported by Dylan Demello again. So like, if he can put up good results with Dylan Demello, then okay, let them do that again next year. Like, he's never gonna have to play all alone, all by himself. We saw with Morrissey and Truba if it's a good fit for partners, then let them do their thing. Like, so I think um, that's a good pairing because they can sort of um, figure each other out and help each other out in that way. And Dylan DeMello is just, he's the best. I I love Dylan DeMello. Man, today I almost got more excited when I saw him than when I saw Pierre-Luc Dubois and that's saying something. So it was very, I love Dylan Devello. I just think he's the greatest. So I really, really hope he has a good year. And I hope he scores a goal this year. That would be super (laughs) nice. I would love to see it.
0: If Logan Stanley can store, score two goals on Carey Price, Dylan DeMello should be able to score against somebody.
1: If Logan Stanley can score two goals on playoff Carey Price, <laughs> like, yeah, Dylan, well, yeah, that was man, oh man, what a weird. I think about that a lot, like very, very often. I'm like sitting there, you know, doing some accounting homework. I'm like, remember that time? <laughs> <Logan Stanley. laughs> no, but I think, um, I think we're in a good situation defensively to go forward, and yeah, like. I um again I would love to see a Hanaladamel pairing if that's if it ever comes to that um but that would probably mean that there's an injury of some sort which I never wish on a player so um maybe next year maybe <laughs> maybe next year um but uh, Morrissey and Schmidt did you get to watch them much as, as a pairing and how did you feel about them?
0: Yeah you know I I I know that the focus should be on Nate Schmidt because he's new and I know you know I noticed a couple of times where he was just able to to Right. To puck out, He's a shifty guy. I mean, I, I don't think he's quite as fast as he was in his Vegas days. I, I don't think that, but he's shifty and, and, and still quick and thinks very quickly as well. Um, and I think that he's going to be a definite upgrade in the top four versus what, you know, Morrissey has been used to in recent history by, you know, by orders of magnitude. Is that fair to say? I don't know, depending on what element, sub element we're talking about. Anyway, so, you know, that continues to be a good reason for optimism. But for me, and I keep saying that I don't want to talk about it, and then I keep bringing it up. I keep saying that just in case I'm making too big of a read based on a day or two of action, and I don't want to put too much pressure on a guy who hasn't dominated for the last couple of seasons, but Josh Morrissey looks faster to me. There's a, There was a topic of discussion in the last couple of years that maybe he was getting exhausted. I've heard some theories that maybe he put on too much weight in terms of muscle that is he'd lost a step in terms of his speed. There's certainly been a lot of discussion, which, you know, I've been more of a part of this discussion about his partner quality and all of that sort of sort of taking a little bit off of what he was able to do. I think that there's a chance that in and amongst all this Brendan Dillon, Nate Schmidt optimism, there is still a chance that Josh Morrissey is the most important upgrade to Winnipeg's top four defense this season. Maybe I'm kind of being wishful, but the guy looks quick to me and purposeful to me. And I hope that that's the version that we see all season long.
1: <laughs> I am um, uh, one of my favorite. I always got to bring up AJ on an episode every now and then. He he had this one tweet once that was so funny. It was basically like, man, when the Jets traded Truba, they shouldn't have traded Morrissey too or whatever. And there were so many people that were like, what? Like, I'm so confused. Morrissey's still here. And like, so people talk about how Nate Schmidt was a bit of a, like, you know, pay a third pick, but he's got a lot of money that he's got on people. were like, oh, like it's going to be a bad trade, whatever. It's like, you know what? You get the player on his own. If the player is good, then whatever. The money's a wash kind of thing. But if the good player also brings out the very good of his partner and stuff like that, then that's, that's all the more reason to be excited about bringing in a player, right? So like sometimes when they come in, it's not just themselves they're bringing. It's like what else they're doing for the team and stuff that can really add to that. So that's why I think that the most important part of a player is going to be if they can if they can help josh morrissey return to some form of what he used to be able to do so hopefully nature can do that i'd love to see it
0: yeah i mean we talked about quality of competition a second ago right like um if you play against edmonton and D- dry Sutton and mcdavid are on opposite lines or separate lines like they usually are i know that they came together for most of the series against the jets you know a, you might have morrissey play against Dreisaitl some of the time and McDavid some of the time, or if they're together, that line some of the time, and then Nugent Hopkins some of the time.
1: Nobody the more is. people
0: play with Nate Schmidt all of the time.
1: Yeah. Right?
0: Like that matters more from a certain perspective because they're always there. And that chemistry, if they find it, you know, that resurgence, if they find it, because again, Schmidt didn't excel in Vancouver. I think there's a lot of reasons um, that he uh, didn't, didn't gel necessarily in that organization um and I think that both are looking to just be the best versions of themselves and and when we've we've talked that point over but I I think that I'm kind of excited to see if they can do it
1: yeah definitely yeah it'll be it'll be cool to see for sure um but you know what you were saying they're both Wild card's not the right term, but there's a big what-if factor on both of them. Do you think there's a possibility that Neil Pionk and Brendan Dillon become the first pairing, the leading-minute pairing of the Winnipeg Jets at all this year?
0: I mean, 100% there's a chance. If uh, if if Neil Pionk can sometimes be the minutes leader playing with Derek Forbert and playing with Dmitry Kulikov, he can sometimes be the minutes leader playing with Brendan Dillon. I think the upgrade is substantial and the playing style is similar enough. Just Brendan Dillon would be a better version of those guys' strengths all the way through. And it's probably better with the puck than either of them by a, by a substantial margin. Um, like, and Pionk is so consistent. Like I, I, that is what he stands out to me as even, even in camp so far, I'm just like, okay, I, I don't need to make too many notes about him one way or the other. I don't think he's going to blow me away. I don't think he's going to surprise me by, by being a step slower or something like that. He's just Neil Pionk. And, I think that I think that if last year's Winnipeg Jets trusted him with as much of the shutdown responsibilities, then then I could see that being the same case uh, for him this year as well.
1: Nice, yeah, I think that's that's so exciting, Matt. Like I just I think about it, like, yeah, your Forberts, your Pullmans, your Volios, whatever. But this is exciting. Like I am really, really, really pumped to be able to see what these guys can do, and I think there's a lot of potential in the lineup to find some good matchups and some good pairings and stuff. So. Um, I think we'll kind of start winding it down. I want you to kind of give me a couple of your boldest predictions for what you think you're going to see from the team this year. So whether that be, I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to be the point leader or something like crazy like that, or if it's going to, or something like, I think by the end of the season, Evgeny Sveshkamp is going to be a regular, like kind of any kind of prediction you think that you can give on the Jets right now, whether it's what you want to happen, what you think will happen. I don't know. Just kind of give me some fun things to maybe think about as the, se- as the season goes on.
0: Okay, as I prep my brain to to come up with examples, I will hedge with the fact that I think this is going to be the most straightforward Jets team that we've seen in a while. It's, it's a win-now season. There's veterans all over the place. I think they're going to do the things. Paul Maurice is going to make the decisions that you think he's going to make. Like, Connor Scheichle-Wheeler is going to be the top line. Ehlers is going to play on the second power play unit. Like, the, the things that we're used to. But at the same time, the X's and O's, I think he's going to re- establish an aggressive forecheck at the offensive blue line all all of the good parts will be there too so i don't i'm not personally preparing myself for a huge incredible amount of surprises but at the same time let's let's have some fun let's have some fun i mean it sucks we've already had an injury dylan sandberg is hurt but it's reminded me that people can get hurt and if opportunity arises for cole perfetti this season I think Winnipeg is so well built to shelter him in terms, of a, in terms of what role he plays at five on five, give him a little bit of power play as well. If Cole Perfetti plays as a result of somebody's long-term injury, I think he's a full-time jet. I don't think, ah, I still don't think that that's what's going to happen, though. I still think <laughs> he's gonna be a, a, why do I play this so down the middle? Okay, um, well, what else can we do? I mean, Neil Pionk on that top power play. He's been on the top power play. You know, I can't predict a points explosion um denmark beats everybody at the olympics because nick Ehlers. i do do i have that i i wonder eric Comrie is going to be a jet all season i think um i i wonder about that i think the jets might need to improve on on that here's here's one especially because i think i know my audience i know blake wheeler's taking a lot of heat as he sort of winds down his career a little bit he's on the back nine to be sure and he hasn't been absolutely dominant in a little while I say Blake Wheeler flirts with a point per game, like for long stretches of this season, and ends a plus player at five on five. Okay. I say, I say that this is one of the like Blake Wheeler's best season in a fantasy sort of way since 2017, 2018, uh, before things fall off.
1: Yeah, I could I could see that. I think. Or what, what's the ESPN one? Blake Wheeler will score more points than Mitch Marner this year. That's my favorite one. That's a uh... That's what ESPN put out. I, uh, not sure about that one.
0: I, uh, (laughs) I finished
1: like top seven in scoring in the last like four years. But, um, I think that's an interesting one. And I think, yeah, like Blake Wheeler's not immune to the aging curve. Right. And I think that's something that a lot of, like you said, you know, your audience, that's what they're saying. It's like, dude, is how old, isn't he 34? Like he's, he's, he's pretty old. So it's like, like, oh my God. Okay, yeah, but like, like you said, with that good line and stuff and some added defense padding there, like I think I could see it. Yeah, I could. He'll, he'll he's slow weighing down, but he's nowhere near a, uh, you know, you should retire kind of guy yet. Like he's still very, very, very effective. Yeah, I like
0: he's not dominating, but, but to to think that he's not some kind of he scored at a at a second line rate last year already. Um, You have the rib situation that you can kind of make the excuse you have him being uniquely stubborn, you can kind of, you know, try to give him a little bit more credit for 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 that as well. Um, You know, I, I think that 2017 18 will probably be looked at as the end of his peak, where he had been one of the world's best five on five players forever. Uh, But I'm willing to bet on like one more. Wow, would you look at that from Blake Wheeler?
1: Yeah. Okay. I think that's reasonable too. Yeah. And yeah, fair enough. I, uh, yeah. Dylan Sandberg, that, that's so unfortunate, man. Like, ugh, like injuries in training camp. Like there are a couple of those rookie pro tournaments or whatever that they had guys get hurt in, like Ottawa and Montreal and so It's like, that sucks. Like they don't even get to play. <laughs> um, but no, hopefully yeah. That uh, injuries aren't, our downfall this year, but it's, it's very interesting to know that, again, our Moose defense looks really good on paper right now. And obviously they're not all NHL defensemen, but it'd be cool to see a couple of them get a, get a shot every now and then if that's how it kind of works out. Do you think, um, I don't, again, well, I never know how to pronounce their names. Nelson Noje Is he, because they were flirting with the idea of him being the seventh defenseman, I think before, when they weren't sure about was injury and they were, Wondering if we were going to get rid of Sammy Niku and stuff. Do you think he would be the first of that Moose group other than Billy Hanell to get called up? Or who do you think?
0: My imagination is that it sort of depends on what the nature of the injury is. Okay. You know, if, if it's, I'm not going to name names unless these things actually happen, but if it's a top four defenseman for like an extended period of time um, and it's not, you know, a day-to-day, you know, this is going to be over in a week sort of injury I could see it being Billy Hainala taking, you know, a, a nice chunk of developmental time trying to make that adaptation. But if it's a day-to-day thing, I don't think that you're going to take him away from the AHL for that. It could be Nelson Ojé um, being first in line for
1: that. Okay, fair enough, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, I saw Mikhail Breeding was one of the goalies, um, him and Connor Halbuck. Do you think there's any chance that he bumps up to that uh second spot there or do you think it's pretty set that comry going
0: to be the guy i think that they'll try hard for that not to be the case you know what i mean because mm-hmm. eric Comrie no longer waivers exempt if you're going to try to send him to the moose to to do what he's done so well for so long you risk losing him on waivers which you've already done like you know how this game often works not always but often that's how it goes Is you lose eric Comrie and then okay great um like what are you like you have to recover from that um so as much as i kind of in my early, early hot takes, believe Burdean has been the more impressive of the two at camp. And I think I have a higher expectation of his feeling. I think the Jets will give Comrie a long look. They're they're not gonna let a few days of camp decide his future. Even, you know, one or two bad starts. I don't think they're gonna let that decide his future. They're gonna work him out with the NHL club, give him every opportunity. His cap hit is perfect. His one-way st- or his non-waivers exempt status gives him that that job. And it'll only be in an emergency scenario where it's just so obvious he can't handle it, that they look at solutions. And then that could be Mikhail Burden. And it could be uh it could be a veteran if they can make the cap hit work as well for that too. Um and I'm curious, but you know, Burden, that's somebody I'm really looking forward to seeing. Arvid Holm, I'm looking forward to seeing. Even Philip De Rosier, um, I don't know if you know, how he would pronounce his his name, how much French flavor he gives it. Uh he stuck with the Florida Panthers taxi squad all of last year. His AHL numbers are excellent um, in a couple of different stretches. So, Winnipeg suddenly has multiple goaltenders that could excel at the AHL level outside of Eric Comrie. That whole situation, they might need to borrow a spot on somebody's ECHL team just to find space for Homer for Derosier.
1: Yeah, no, it's a. I, I forgot about him. I'll be completely honest. <laughs> um, yeah, they could even let him
0: go, I suppose, but I don't think they will. He's he's pretty good.
1: We had, um, there was an episode that we were doing a while ago. I don't even know. Maybe it was just a conversation, but I feel like it was like C-Mac or something. Someone from the podcast, their prediction is that Anton Forsberg is a Jet by the end of the season. They think that they may uh, they bring him back to, if, if Comrie doesn't pan out. I don't know. I thought that was funny, but who knows? It could happen. The famous,
0: um, like, quarantine non-Jet jet from last year. That's great.
1: And then he wore his Jets pads, like, all year afterwards, and I felt so bad. <laughs> Every time I watched him play, I was like, stop. <laughs> but it's fine. Um, did you have any kind of, want well, that was not a sentence. Did you want to add any kind of last words, anything that we didn't touch on, or anything that you think that Jets fans should be thinking about, looking forward to, or whatever, as the season begins, I guess?
0: Uh, you know, in terms of like sizing up this team, I think we're, I think there's less disagreement about it than often there has been like the optimism I think has pervaded most circles. I just, my personal perspective, and this isn't just predicting a jet season necessarily, but after having been away from up close hockey, after going through all the rigmarole of uh, zoom calls, which are not quite that ideal and all that sort of stuff, um, fans not being allowed in the building, and, and sort of like people, I don't want to say getting crotchety as a result, but like fans do impact how the mood of everybody is. It's like why they do it. And and it certainly it makes things more pleasant for us too. To go from the years that we've had to actually be able to see people in the rink right now, to to be able to watch up close, and to also add to that a, a hopefully improved version of the Jets team. Like the, the last thought that I have is just, this is a reminder how fun this all is. Like this is this is this is a really lucky thing that we get to do, especially a guy like me. I get to eat because I obsess over hockey. Like how crazy is that? And like all this time we spend talking about it, like I love these conversations we have and I love all the spots that like, you know, going on sports talk with us or whatever and, and like all the time we spend on the internet cutting us apart. Sami Niku gets signed by Montreal and we have to have that argument again. It's this special, weird, social, cultural thing we get to do. And we're getting close to, fingers crossed, everything goes well, but we're getting close to the best version of it again this year uh, that we missed for a year and a half. And, like, this is good. I'm excited. (laughs) Let's go.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be so awesome. Just thinking about the idea of going to those games again, those practices, banging on the ice, you know, yelling at the fans and just, oh, like, it's going to be super fun. Everyone's going to be, the players are going to love it. You're going to love it. We're going to love it. It's just, it's awesome. I can't wait.
0: Yeah, I just hope that you get the results on the ice that that really vindicate all this because, I mean, you, yeah.
1: Well, and and I think they will. That's one thing that a lot of people that were like, they're interesting moves, whatever, but you could tell the Jets are going for it. It's not another season of make the postseason, jump out the first round, blah, blah, like just kind of that, just a hair above mediocrity kind of thing. No, this is it. We're going for it. Everyone's on board and it's awesome.
0: Yeah. Sweet.
1: Uh, Thanks for taking the time this afternoon. It's uh, always a pleasure. And uh, hopefully we'll get this episode out soon and we'll have plenty of other opportunities to connect uh, over hockey as the season starts up. So thanks very much.
0: Thank you. Thanks
1: for having me, Liz. I'm Kirk Kielbach and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast.